Good morning. So kind, a warm welcome. I did not expect that. The worship team did that this morning. They did that. I said, let me sit on down before I sweat my hair out. It's not happening. But they did that. That was amazing. Okay, let me just get this out of the way. Yesterday, I went to work out. When I work out, I like to pretend that I'm Wonder Woman and that I'm training with one of the Amazons. I took it up a notch by listening to a DMX playlist while I was doing that, and then I hurt myself. So it's not that I don't like you guys and that I like these guys better. It's that it just hurts to look at you. So if you're not getting a lot of attention from me, that is why. For those of you who haven't met, as Logan said, my name is Jasmine. I have the privilege of doing this for a living, getting to work here at LMCC and serving this congregation, which I love and have been a part of for six years. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about an idea, a phrase that has been rolling around in my head for the last several months, uh, the table that God sets before us. The table he sets before you is the title of this morning's message. And we are going to look at that idea through a passage found in Luke 14, otherwise known as the parable of the great feast. Okay, so like I said, this idea has been rolling around in my head and in my mind for a while. And I've been praying and, and asking God, okay, Lord, what is it that you want us to know about the table that you set before us? What is this table and what is on it and, and why? Why is it important? And I've come to believe in the last month that uh, a lot of people will listen to this message, but there's a small group of people, a small group of believers, especially probably some of our King's College students, for whom God is still showing you that he is uh, your source. He's still proving to you who he is. Now, if you grew up in church, an old Baptist church like I did, you hear that phrase, God is proving himself, and you might, you know, sort of bristle at it. You think, God doesn't have to prove himself. He's God. He doesn't need you. You, you know, you need him. All of that is true, 100%. It's not that he has to prove himself or has to prove it. It's that he wants to. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he exists as your source, that he is Jehovah Jireh, one of our names for him, that he can be the place where you go and you go first to get everything that you need from him. And so knowing that there's a table he sets before you is a part of that journey. All right, uh, we're going to jump into Luke 14 in just a moment, but First, I want you to quickly imagine for a moment that God is throwing a dinner party. Imagine that God has invited people to come over to his home and you walk in. What does that look like? There is so much feasting that takes place in the Bible, Old Testament and New. Um, at times it feels like Jesus himself is always at a dinner party or always at a wedding party. So I, it doesn't seem that strange to me that we would take a moment to imagine what it would look like if God himself was throwing a dinner party. But what I'm asking you to imagine is not uh, what it would look like if he was doing this for, let's say, 40 people. 
but just for you and God. You walk in, there's a table set for two. What does that scene look like to you? What is on that table that he would set before you? And I'm going to come back to that question a little bit later. All right. Luke chapter 14, verse 16, New Living Translation. It says, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Quite a passage. Okay, let's set the scene. Jesus has just told a parable about a dinner party, but he's actually at a dinner party when he tells this story. He's gone to the home of a Pharisee to have dinner, He has healed on the Sabbath and caused quite a scene already. But as the afternoon or the evening has progressed, he's watched as people have tried to angle and clamor to get the best seat or the most important seat at the head of this dinner table. And so watching that scene unfold, Jesus says, hey, guys, here's a tip. The way to get the best seat is actually to take the worst seat. Humble yourself show regard for others, uh, and then uh, you'll, 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 you'll get your reward. And by the way, when you have a party like this, don't just invite the important people. Invite the people that can't do anything for you, and then God in heaven will see this, and he will reward you. And so someone else at the party who hears that remark, he then says, wow, Won't the kingdom of heaven just be amazing, you know, after hearing Jesus say that? And Jesus replied with what I like to call holy shade. It's just a little bit of shade in it, just a little bit of a correction, always wrapped in love, always meant to educate and edify, of course, but just a little bit of holy shade. And Jesus is like, oh, you think that's what the kingdom is going to be like? Okay, let me break it down for you. Let me tell you what the kingdom is really going to be like. And so he tells this story, a parable about a man who prepares a great feast, a huge banquet, invites people, they say yes, and when his servant goes out to collect them, they say no. Three people, three different reasons why they are unable to come. Um, What I love about this story is how much historical truth there is to it. We have to remember that at the time in which this text was written, people did not have massive kitchens and double ovens and huge deep sinks, all the things that we want when we go looking for a home or we dream about building a home. 
No, instead they are working with fire, they're, they're baking with ovens, they have very basic, very simple means. And so throwing a feast like this involves a little bit of, 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 of nuance. There's an unpredictable air about the whole thing. You don't actually know when everything will be ready to go. And so rather than risk having people come over early and things are not ready, instead you would prepare it all and then you would send your servant or your representative out to collect people and to say, hey y'all, everything's ready. We would love to have you. Please come with me and I'll escort you back. And so that's what happens here. This master, this man sends his servant out and three people, all with three different excuses. The first person says, I'm sorry, I just bought a field and I have to go and inspect it. Let's, let's just break that down really quickly. No one, no one buys a field without first inspecting it. Not then and not today. You would never do that. Buy property without ever laying eyes on it or having someone else look at it for you. And so a lot of theologians like to say that this guy just simply told a lie. But I, I, I want to counter that. I, I don't think this guy is lying. I think he's telling the truth. I think he did just buy a field. I think he researched it. I think he contemplated it. I think he talked it over with friends. I think he thought long and hard about it and probably even lost sleep over it. And then he bought the field. And yet, he has to go inspect it again. That is what we call having an idol. There's an obsession there. You've committed to being in one place. Your attention needs to be on this thing over here, but something else has your attention. You've put something else in the place of where your attention should be. Idol. The second person is just as busy. That person says, listen, I have five pairs of oxen, 10 oxen, and if you know anything about how they're supposed to work to do field work, you know they have to work uh, really well together in pairs. Everything's gotta work well together in order for it to be successful. And so this person says, look, I have, I have 10 oxen, or I, I, have, 10, I have 10 entities, I have 10 projects, I have 10 people that all need my time and my attention right now. I'm working, in, I'm working a full-time job, I have an 80-hour week, this week alone, I can't come to your party. This person is busy, they have a lot on their plate. And then the last one I love. This person just says, I'm married, I can't. And if, if you're married, if you know, you know. You know there are days where you're just like, we just, we just can't even get it together. We're just not even on the same page, you know? My wife is just driving me up the wall. I cannot be there. And I love that. I'm married, can't be there. Three different excuses. Oh, I'm stopping myself. I will not call them excuses. Excuses makes it sound like I'm judging, which is not what I'm here to do. They are all valid reasons. So I will call them what they are. They are attachments. Everyone in this story has attachments. We all have attachments. 
So the man is furious and he says, okay, fine, go out, get the poor, get the crippled, get the blind, get the lame out of the streets and alleys. Lord Jesus, was I in a street or an alley when he found me? And this group of people accepts. And there's still even more room. And so he says, okay, I want you to go out. And this time I want you to pull people from the streets. I want you to pull people from behind hedges. This group of people are the people who truly don't belong at this affair. They're not a part of the community. They're not his neighbors. They are people who are just passing through. They are ragged, tired, probably dirty. But man, are they so grateful to have a place to come in and rest and to wash their hands and to sit down with people and to be fed a luxurious meal. You are all smart people. I always say that, so I don't want to add to what Jesus is saying here. I don't want to complicate it. As we say in the South, I won't be before you long. I won't be before you long. I just want to make a couple of points. You know, we're in Easter tide right now. We're in this season after Easter where we've had all this buildup, all this work, right? And the resurrection has happened. And I think a lot of us are sitting around saying, okay, that was great. You know, we made it to April, but now what? What would you have me do, Lord? What would you have me put my hands to? What am I supposed to be focused on right now? And the first thing that I want you to take away from today is that there is an invitation to a table and that there's a feast that has been prepared in advance for you. That's a part, a part of what this parable is about. The kingdom has been prepared and readied for you in advance and that table was set in advance. I was reading um, Real Simple magazine. I still have a couple of the old ones. I love that magazine. I've never done a single thing that they ever advise that I do in that magazine. Not a single thing, but I absolutely love it. Um, and uh, there was an article in the magazine, and it was called, How to Set Three Different Types of Dinner Tables. And it ranged from, you know, everyday casual dinner with your family to the most formal affair. And there was an article linked with it. And it said, when you're entertaining, how you set the table is your first impression. It sets the tone of the meal and it confesses the evening's character to your guests. We have a very talented designer that works with LMCC. And I heard her put it a different way. She said... When you set a table for someone in advance, it conveys that they've been thought about. And I need you to get that. Like, I really need you to get that. You're not an afterthought to God. You're not an afterthought to him. He thinks about you well in advance and has been your entire life. You are not someone he sees as a burden. He doesn't turn to his spouse on a Tuesday night and say, why did we agree to have these people come over? What a terrible idea. No, it is the opposite for God. You are his most special guest. 
And he has prepared a table for you that has everything you need, and not just need, but that you truly enjoy. Even if you go back to the dinner of all dinners, there's a pattern that you see, the dinner of all dinners being the Last Supper. Even in that scene, Judas is going to betray Jesus, and he knows it. He knows it. And still, he prepares a seat for him at the table. So much grace, so much generosity shown there. Um, Peter denies him over and over. And yet, he still gets a seat at the breakfast table for what Logan likes to refer to as fish tacos with Jesus the morning after. The other disciples, except one, are nowhere to be found at Jesus' hardest and worst moment, and yet they get a seat at the table over and over and over again in the 40 days when Jesus keeps reappearing to his followers after the resurrection. So much love just keeps showing up. And even the people who have disappointed him the most or could have potentially disappointed him the most, these are the people he keeps thinking about in advance. And it's powerful. It's powerful because it conveys that Jesus is not just here, this idea of a table being set in advance. He's not just here in your present. Today, April 11th, 2021, he's also already in your future. He's already gone ahead into the next set of circumstances. When we talk in a year or in two years, you're going through a new set of trials. You're going through a new challenge. Jesus is already there preparing what you need in advance, ready to mark any and every single occasion with you. The next thing I want you to notice about the table that God sets before you is that, like I said, these broken people always get an invitation. And I am not talking about people with physical disabilities. There's a sensitivity, I think, when we read this passage. So I want to address that. We're not talking about people with physical disabilities. What we are in this passage, why? Because those are the people who were typically were and who are overlooked. Jesus is concerned, the kingdom is concerned with people who normally get overlooked. But I'm not talking about people with physical disabilities. I'm talking about people like you and like me who are crippled, lame, blind, and poor in spirit. The people who still have places where we need to be healed. The people who still have things that they need to give over to God and let him work them out in us and through us. Do those people, do those imperfect people who continue to make mistakes, do they get a seat at the table? And the answer is a loud and resounding yes. You know, the man in this party, it says that he was furious. Uh, That's a word that really stands out. It it jumps out. And yet we see it turn to grace. (laughs) So much grace to then make room for all of these people who didn't belong. People who get overlooked. I, um, I happen to be one of those weird, rare people that enjoys icebreakers. Um, and that is because I'm just 
awkward. I just say awkward things when I first meet people. So if you would just give me a pre-planned question that I can then plan an answer to, that is always appreciated. One of my favorite icebreakers or dinner topics is if you could have dinner with any five people, dead or alive, who would they be? And man, I always have an answer for people. So my grandmother has passed, the rules are dead or alive. So my grandmother always makes an appearance. Jesus, he's alive. And then the other three seats, who knows what could happen? Um, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite writers. So sometimes he makes the list. Obviously, I have to consider Oprah, Obama, Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream for your girl. How am I not gonna invite the good doctor and the good reverend to come over for dinner when the whole reason I'm here today is because, anyway, you understand the point. Um, Kim Kardashian, Elon Musk, right? Piers Morgan, like the list just runs all over the place depending on what's happening. But you know who I never think about? The guy at the deli. The guy at the deli and his son. I have known that little boy since he was nine. Now he's like 17, about to be taller than me, about to go to college. Have been journeying with them over the years, talking with them. Why did you come from Yemen? That story's so tragic and horrible. Just, I mean, and that guy knows more about my life and has known more about my life just based on the things I'm buying from him. And yet, I never think to add him to the list. I just overlook him. And all I can say is, thank God that God does not require us to be so outstanding in order to get his attention. We already have it. Now, this sounds very high and mighty and lofty and like the right thing to say, right? When you throw a party or when you have something important to do, you know, think about the overlooked people. But let me tell you, I feel very comfortable and very authentic saying it to this church because I saw this play out in our church last week. Last week, as you know, was Easter a big day for the church, right? We did a lot of work thinking about it in advance. And so Easter morning came, I got here, I'm running around in an outfit that I just hope I'm not sweating through. And you know, water and we're checking chair spacing and QR codes and contact tracing, so much to think about. And as I'm walking through the building, I'm thinking, you know what? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that everything's going so well today. And you know, the worship team is here and everything sounds great and everything looks great. And the closer we got to service, I started just a little bit to just, you know, just congratulate myself just a little bit, you know? And um, I'm standing in the hallway, service is about to start, and what I need to tell you before I conclude this story, the most important part is that there's a woman in this church, I'll change her name, we'll change it to Christina, and Christina, she gets on our Wednesday prayer calls. Every Wednesday at noon, we have a church-wide prayer time. We start with worship with Karen and Alex Taylor, and then we pray. It is a wonderful time. Please join us. 
Christina joins these Wednesday prayer meetings, and this was maybe like a month or two months ago. She got on, she said, hey, you know, I could really use prayer for this man. Um, she said, I keep encountering a man, and I'm not sure if he has a home, probably not, if I had to guess, since I keep encountering him in the same place over and over again. And she said, I really feel called to him, and I feel like the Lord wants me, you know, to be in his, to, to keep running into him, to be in his pathway, and, and if you could just pray for me for, for this. And, you know, being in ministry, you hear prayer requests like that. And so you say yes, you say okay, and you honor the prayer, and then, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of forgot about it a little bit. So back to Easter, running around, Grateful, congratulating myself, standing in the hallway, elevator doors open, lots of beautiful people get off. Christina gets off the elevator. She's with a person. The Holy Spirit said, that's the man. That's the man she's been asking y'all to pray about. And at that moment, truly, I had my breath knocked out of me. I'm sure I was very awkward, more awkward than usual when they came over to say hello because I was listening and the Holy Spirit was saying, that's, that's the man. You never know what, what these prayers, these honored prayers are going to lead to. And it just hit me, you know, such a heart check, such a head check. Lord, are you pleased with this? Are you pleased with this? Surely you're pleased. Does it please you that everything is working well and looks wonderful? Yes, surely you're pleased with this effort. But that's not what impresses you. You're not impressed with that. Like Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. Uh, uh. Somebody should have come in and backed me up on that song, and you're wrong for that, because I know you know that song. Shout out to Sister Shania, wherever she is, Canada, right? Um, shout out to all the sisters and brothers in Canada. But like Shania, like Jesus, that, that's, that's not what you're impressed with. You are impressed with people, no, servants who go out and get the overlooked people. You are impressed with that. The people with nothing to lose. The people with nothing to lose have everything to gain. That is why they said yes to the invitation. The people who have no stature, no importance, no right to be there, and no attachments. Those are the people that said yes to the invitation. Those are the people who said yes and were ready for the feast. Those lowly, unimportant people. And you know why? Because they know. They know. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He and he alone restores my soul. Yea, for his namesake. And although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they're with me. They comfort me. And as if that was not enough, what else? You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
Not only is that table prepared for me in advance, but then beyond that, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, and your goodness and this undeserved mercy follows me all the days of my life. Even when I mess up, I'm blessed. When I'm getting it wrong, I'm blessed. And you continue to think about me in advance. Saying yes to the invitation gets them all that they need. When God is the only thing you have, sometimes you realize he is all you need. I'm almost done. I told you I would not be before you long this morning, and I meant it. I I want you to walk away today prepared and ready to get rid of your attachments. That doesn't mean that you can't have your family or a successful business or a successful ministry. Jesus wants us to have those things. He's a loving and a good God, but he wants us to be aware of when we have attachments, things that would keep us from coming to the table that he has set before us. That's where he's about to go in the rest of Luke 14. That's your homework for tonight, please, if you would. Please read, please pick up where we left off in Luke 14. He's about to give a big warning about these attachments. Don't let other things keep you from coming to him. The next thing I want you to walk away with today is just a commitment and a zeal to accept the invitation. And then three, to recognize that it is not what is on the table he sets, it is who is there with you? At the very beginning of this sermon, I asked you to think about what is on the table he sets before you, and each of you had a different idea of what that would look like. Have you stopped to consider that even if you walked in and the table was bare and there was nothing on it, but Jesus was there with you, that you have all that you need? You need nothing else. Whatever you need, Jesus wants to be an avenue to that thing through him. In the face of poverty, in the face of sickness, there's still a table where you can come and get what you need. No longer do you have to provide for yourself or make it happen on your own. He is all that. So abide in it. Bask in it. Do not walk away from the table he sets before you because this is a table reservation that costs everything. Absolutely priceless. He gave his life for it. And if you're thinking to yourself, I already accepted the invitation. This is boring. Get on with it. Great. Great. If you've already accepted the invitation, great. Join us. Join us. Join Simon Peter and James and the other James and John and Matthew and Bartholomew and Philip and Thomas. Didn't he have doubts? Yeah, you got doubts too. Thomas and Mary and Mary Magdalene and Joanna and me and Logan and everyone else here. Join us. 
We need willing and able servants. Don't don't you see what this is all about? 2,000 years ago, people were in the same place as we are now. All of these events have happened. The resurrection has taken place, and people are sitting around saying, okay, now what? What what, what do we do? He's, He's gone. Well, the Holy Spirit came down and dropped, and those people got to work. Teeny, tiny little Jewish communities spreading out all over the place, planting the seeds, becoming the early church. They got to work. And it is time for us to get to work too. We need servants to go out to everyone and spread the gospel. We need servants to go out and get all of the overlooked people. Because this feast has been prepared in advance and nothing Nothing will go to waste. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being who you are. I thank you that I can feel your presence invading this space, your presence all around us. God, I ask that you Breathe on us. Remind each and every person right now in this place listening to this podcast that you see them. You've seen them since they were tiny children. You've seen it all. You've seen everything that they've been through, Lord. And you've been thinking about them in advance. Breathe on us so we know that, Lord that we're comforted and reminded of who you are. And Lord, let us receive more of your power so that we can say yes to the invitation, to the table you set before us, that we feast not with shame, but knowing that we are children of God and your heirs. And Lord, anoint us for the work to go out and to collect everyone, God, to bring them to your table, to have them share in this with us. It is in your son's mighty name that we pray. Amen.